Welcome to another edition of the SSPX Podcast, delivering sermons, lectures, and the spoken word from across the English-speaking world. Today we'll be speaking with Father Paul Robinson about the necessity and the requirements for seeking a spiritual director. Also, what is the brown scapular promise, and what does it really promise? But first we will discuss something a little bit more heavenly, that is, Our Lady's beatific vision. And why is it that when she appears on earth, sometimes she seems sad, even though she is in heaven? How is this possible? These questions and more discussion is coming up on the SSPX podcast. Please remember to subscribe and rate the podcast so that more people can hear the beauty and truth of traditional Catholicism. This edition of the SSPX podcast starts now. Well, we are back with another edition of the SSPX podcast and welcoming Father Paul Robinson again. Hello, Father. How are you this week? I'm well, Andrew. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. There are ordinations coming up at Holy Cross Seminary, aren't there? There are indeed. About, it's about two weeks away. Fantastic. So there will be a, an ordination to the diaconate and to the priesthood. Is that right? That's correct. There will be one priest ordained and one deacon. Both of them are from Africa one from Kenya and one from Nigeria. And it will be the first priest and deacon, well, the first priest from Africa ordained here at Holy Cross. Wow, that is that is a blessing. And that just, it's wonderful to have so many men from so many different places coming. Do, do you receive a lot of vocations or, or candidates from, uh, say, different continents? We do. Uh, you know, Holy Cross Seminary has been assigned a certain geographical area from which we get vocations. Uh, we Any vocations from Asia we receive. We also receive vocations from English-speaking Africa, and of course, the vocations from Oceania, um, like Samoa or something like that, Pacific Islands, uh, what have you. That's wonderful. Well, hopefully, they can they can go back to their home country and and help spread spread some of that message as well. That's that's the hope, at least, I guess. Yes. Well, I mean, the society is around the world, so we we never know where we're going to be assigned, and uh, we can always use more priests. So we still don't know where our priest to be will will be stationed, but uh, yeah, we, we know there's a lot of possibilities. He's he's anticipating um, and and ready to go wherever he, his superiors wish him to go. Wonderful. Well, we will definitely be praying praying for those uh, for those ordinands on, on the day coming up in a couple of weeks, Father. Well, I, I wanted to dive into uh, a few questions that we have for you this this week, uh, and and the first one has to do with with the Blessed Virgin uh, in in apparitions. The questioner said, sometimes she appears sad and even weeping, such as at the apparitions at La Salette. But given her understanding of sin and evil, um, how is it possible that she's weeping and sad, but at the same time eternally happy in heaven? Yeah, well, this is a, a, a difficult question, and the questioner is, has it correct that, that there is um, a certain incompatibility between the beatific vision and sadness, because uh, the beatific vision glorifies our soul. Uh, it, it soul with glory, uh, which then redounds on the body and makes our body uh, incapable of suffering. So there's rightly when, when we see Our Lady, especially in La Salette weeping, we, we have to ask ourselves what what is going on? Is she actually experiencing sadness or is, is there something else going on? You know, I actually looked up on the, the missionaries of La Salette to see how they would answer this question. And uh, they, they said that Our Lady is is not suffering when at, at La Salette, but she's just uh, manifesting um, the signs of sorrow in, in order to teach 
human beings um, the the gravity of, of sin. They, they they said the following. I just I just quote this this uh, site. It said she cried because she was speaking to human beings who need some signs. On earth, tears are the ultimate sign of sorrow. In addition, Mary's tears express her deep sadness and not being able to protect her people from coming misfortunes, although her capacity to suffer has passed. So, I mean, that's that's a possible explanation. I probably that's the, the common explanation of why uh, Our Lady would be uh, crying is not that she's suffering, um, but she's trying to to teach us the consequences of our sins. Could we could we correlate or compare the, the suffering, the human suffering that, that Our Lady is showing, the emotion contrasted with the beatific vision to that of our, our Lord, who is both God and man? Obviously, I'm not implying or saying that, that the Blessed Virgin is divine, uh, but is, is there some sort of comparison that could be made there? Well, that, that's a very interesting question, and um, it's something that I would, I would propose as a, a theological possibility. In fact, I, I discussed it with the priest here. Um, and this year we, we did uh, the treatise on, on our Lord from St. Thomas. And what we learn about our Lord is that he did have the beatific vision during uh, his life. And at the same time, he was capable of suffering. And this is a very unique situation. Um, and St. Thomas explains that our Lord really needed to, to have the beatific vision because he's uh, the, the exemplar, as it were, um, the, the supreme example for us of perfection. So he needed to be absolutely perfect from the beginning. We can also argue that our Lord had to have the beatific vision so that in his human nature, he could know exactly what the divine will was at every time. I mean, so the beatific vision would constantly be enabling him to know the precise will of God, um, whereas we only know the will of God by signs. He would know it directly in his human nature by his faculties of, of human knowing. So since our, our Lord be, possessed the beatific vision, and yet he was able to suffer, and this was by um, a certain miracle wherein the beatific vision was not allowed to go descend, as it were, to his lower faculties. It was not allowed to influence his lower faculties. Like normally, uh, the beatific vision would redound on those lower faculties and prevent there being any sorrow, any suffering, any physical pain, uh, and, and all those things. And of course, that would pre prevented our Lord from uh, performing the act of redemption, which involved the the suffering and the death. I, I just propose this as as a possibility. It's not it's not metaphysically impossible that when Our Lady comes down, there's something similar that happens that that the beatific vision um, is is sort of uh, prevented from passing down to the to the lower faculties. And during the short time that she of, of the apparition, she's uh, enabled to experience uh, some manner of sorrow during that short time, as I say, um, and in that way, the the weeping that uh, she manifests at La Salette, for instance, uh, would, would actually be uh, not just a, a sign for us, but it would be an actual uh, sorrow in, in Our Lady's heart. I mean, this is this is pure uh, theological speculation, Andrew. <laughs> there's right. no there, there's no decision on this. Um, I'm just throwing out ideas. Um, and uh, yes, it, it it's it's certain that that Our Lady is is in a state of, of beatitude, 
And, and that would only be uh, by pure exception if, if that were to be the case. Right. And, and w- within herself and within her soul, she would, she would be able to see the, the, the good uh, or the justice that is being done. I, I remember asking when I was young in, in catechism, when I was taught about the general judgment and a sister told me, well, all your sins will be known by everyone. And I thought, well, first, I'm really embarrassed. And then secondly, I thought, well, won't, won't I be really uh, angry or upset? And, you know, let's say a loved one is in hell, wouldn't I be really sad? And the answer is, well, no, because you you would have the fullness of the understanding of, of the justice. Uh, you would understand what, what what's happening uh, more fully. So Our Lady would still have that, but she can still manifest, you know, some sadness while she's while she's appearing to us. Yes, absolutely. Very interesting. Yes, I mean, we're, 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 there's definitely no sadness at at uh, the miscarriage of, of justice or or evil not having a remedy or or any of those lower motives for for sadness. Very interesting. Well, uh, to to stay on to stay on speaking about Our Lady, we have another question um, regarding the the brown scapular, and that is, my mother believes firmly. The questioner asks, uh, firmly and literally in the brown scapular promise. Uh, to me, it seems almost superstitious, like God will say, nope, if I happen to forget to wear my scapular on the day I get into a car wreck. Uh, can you help me understand this promise a little better, Father? Yeah, well, I, I think um, the, we believe certainly in the, in the brown scapular promise uh, as well. But perhaps what, what uh, the mother might be doing is, is sort of thinking that the brown scapular is substitutes for what determines whether we go to heaven or not is, is our state of um, that that is the the primary and the essential thing, and whether you have the brown scapular on or, or, or not, uh, that's going to be the real question: is whether you're in the state of grace. It is grace that that gets you to heaven. It's not it's not the scapular, as such, that gets you to heaven. And so the scapular is a secondary means. It's an aid um, that's been given to us by Our Lady to help us get to heaven. So it's not the the primary means that God has established. That being said, I mean, um, you know, it's we, we certainly encourage people to wear the scapular and we certainly encourage people to believe in the promise. We, but we do have to point out that the promise doesn't happen automatically. It's not just someone who gets enrolled in the scapular and just puts it on is is automatically going to go to heaven. So, for instance, if, if someone has a scapular on, but they're not really leading a Catholic life and they're not um, fulfilling the obligations that are attached to the scapular. I mean, some people don't understand that the scapular is an enrollment and there are certain obligations that are entailed for you to receive the promises of Our Lady. It's like a certain contract um, with Our Lady. The scapular doesn't just work automatically. Like if I have this piece of cloth on, you know, I'm just going to go to heaven or I'm automatically going to be transformed in my soul the moment before my death. Right. Um, that would That would be kind of superstitious, you know, um, sort of treating the scapular as as uh, a certain uh, magic tool or talisman to, to get you to heaven. So it, it's certainly not that it, it is. It's more of a it's more of a promise. But like what like with any promise, I, well, I promise we'll do this. Uh, but first we have to, you know, as a parent or uh, as a boss or something, you would say, I promise we can do this. But first we have to get this, this, this done. It's it's more of a conditional promise, uh, not an, not an absolute one. Exactly. Yeah, there's conditions involved. And, and of course, we know that many people were saved without the scapular before it was instituted. I mean, sure. the scapular was given to St. Simon's stock in, in the 13th century. So, um, it, it, again, it's, it's not the scapular 
of itself that gets us to heaven. It's it's grace that gets us to heaven. It's just the scapular can be a very powerful aid to ensure that we are in the state of grace when we die. Um, but obviously we could be in the state of grace uh, by some other means than the scapular on the, at the moment of our death. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I remember uh, growing up, my, my mother would, would say <laughs> similar things of, you know, before we'd go on a, go on a trip or, you know, go to uh, drive into town to go get something, do, do you have your scapular on? Yes, yes, mom. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, God bless her. I mean, that's what moms should do. Right, right, absolutely. Transitioning a bit to something, and, and this is kind of bounces off of something that we spoke about a little bit um, the last time we talked, Father, uh, when we were talking about the issue of obedience and whether or not the faithful owe obedience to, to their pastors. Uh, and you talked about uh, people receiving spiritual direction uh, from you uh, and from, you know, from our other priests. Um, so someone had a follow-up question to this. Uh, they said, I'm wondering when and if a person should seek out a spiritual director. And then a couple follow-up questions on that. But uh, could you speak to that uh, just in general? Yeah, so, well, um, as, as I mentioned at that time, if someone, really the primary motive for seeking a spiritual director is a greater desire for holiness. You, you want to have a guide to heaven, someone to guide you to a greater union with God. And that's one of the reasons why we re require uh, spiritual direction for the seminarians. They're, they're being, uh, their vocation is being discerned, and if they're called to be uh, a priest, they have to be holy. And the, the thing is, as human beings, we can't come, become holy by ourselves. We, we need a guide. I, I think there's this uh, famous quotation of St. Francis de Sales, who he says something like, he who has himself for a director uh, has a fool for a director, <laughs> because of the fact that we, we just um, are not very cluey, as, as the Australians would say, that we're not very clued in as to our own self. We lack self-knowledge. And so a director can provide some very useful information, um, a, a voice from the outside to help us see who we are, um, help us see our, our predominant fault, uh, help us understand the means that we must take to, to have a, an effective spiritual life, to grow, draw closer to God, uh, someone to motivate us, someone to sort of keep track of our progress, keep track of, of what we're doing. You know, someone would say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to go speak to my spiritual director and I'll have to tell them this or that, and so I want to be able to say I've had a good week or, or these sorts of things. So uh, spiritual direction is certainly a, a powerful uh, means for, for advancing in holiness. Well, that's very good, and, and that would work in conjunction with the sacrament of, of confession, of penance uh, as well, but it's more of a, a conversation. It's instead of going in and, and speaking with the priest about your sins, you're going in and speaking with the priest about faults possibly and, and you know, ways that you can overcome them in, in more detail than you possibly could in confession. But also on the positive side, I guess I could say, uh, you're talking about increasing and, and, and growing. Yeah, so I, you know, the spiritual direction, I, I've, um, in my own experience as, as a priest, uh, I, I've done it both ways where, one way where you just have a regular penitent who comes in perhaps once every two weeks or even, even once a week, and will make their confession, and you develop a certain rapport over time and a familiarity with the soul, and the soul asks if they can receive a, a bit extra direction, and there might be a, a little bit extra discussion. Um, it's not an in-depth discussion, 
but the priest, through the familiarity with the soul, is able to give some much more tailored advice and um, guide the soul for, over, over a long term. And, and that can be quite helpful. That would be like spiritual direction light, but uh, more of a heavy-duty spiritual direction would be uh, the soul coming in once a month or um, even once every two weeks. It might be a little bit of a burden on a priest to do it that often, but, but at least once a month. And then they would discuss um, everything that the soul is doing. Um, what, what's going on in your life? What, what, are your, what is your spiritual routine? What books are you reading? Um, are you doing any meditation? What are your temptations? Uh, what's, what, are, what are the movements in your soul? And uh, by learning all these things, the, the priest would then try to uh, indicate to the to the how um, that what their attitude should be towards the things that are happening, uh, the best strategies they they would have towards it, advancing in virtue, and just overall advice as to what they should read and and how they should go about planning their their spiritual routine to advance in holiness. Well, th- thank you for the thank you for the guidelines there. Uh, that answered a, a couple of the other follow up questions that they that the person had uh, about you know what do you talk about and and how often. But one of the other details is how do you choose a spiritual director? Uh, let's say you, you live near a, a place or you have a priory where there's two, three, you know, even four priests. Do you kind of pick and choose one or do you, obviously the, the main advice would all be the same, we would hope, <laughs> but possibly delivered in a different in a different way. Should you choose, say, your quote unquote favorite priest or someone you get along with or does it really matter? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question and an important question. You know, when seminarians arrive here, they are given a certain date to by which they must submit the name of their spiritual director to uh, the rector. And they're advised in the meantime to go and visit all the priests and have a, a chat with them. Um, and I think the, the, the main thing that's going on there, as you indicated, I mean, really, they, they should probably be receiving the same sort of advice from all the priests. And it's not like one one priest over another has, has a special I don't know, um, extra sensory perception is <laughs> he's going to be able to read right. souls or what have you. We don't right. have those kind of priests. Uh, so we're all judging on, on the base of, uh, basis of external signs. But the, really, the, the discernment is, is much more for the soul to figure out which priest they would be most comfortable being open with or which priest they would have the most uh, trust and respect for. So the the main thing on the side of the one being directed is that they are as open as possible, that they really say honestly what's going on in their soul. And if they go to the priest and they don't feel comfortable speaking to the priest, or uh, they feel like they've, they've got to put on a certain facade when they're talking to the priest, that pretty much would ruin uh, the spiritual direction interaction. Uh, because it, the, the the priest would not be receiving the objective information he needs in order to make proper judgments as to how to guide the soul. So it's it's good for the person who's wanting a spiritual director to think about it, to to pray about it, to actually wait to, to get to know the priest a little bit before they choose. And then um, when it's clear to them that, that, that this or that priest is a priest that they would feel very comfortable opening their soul to, um, they would they would choose that priest to be their spiritual director. And and I guess like anything else in in life, it, between two people, uh, it, it is a relationship of sorts. It's you you have to have some trust. You have to have some some knowledge, some some backstory, uh, some history. I guess, and uh, that that's vital for a success a successful spiritual relationship 
uh, with, with a priest. Uh, and I guess in the same vein, if someone feels that they're asking the same question over and over and not quite getting the answer, you know, it, it wouldn't be a, a shameful thing to tell the priest that you have chosen as a spiritual director after a few months, Father, I, I'm sorry, I, no offense, but could I, could I try working with, with someone else? That, that wouldn't be a bad thing. You wouldn't be insulted or offended. No, I mean, if it's, if it's clearly not working out, then it's okay to choose um, another spiritual director and just politely ask, ask the priest um, if he would be okay with that. Generally speaking, it should be something pretty severe that would, that would cause you to do that. If it happens in the seminary, generally that's not a good sign for, for the seminarian, but it can happen. It does, it does happen sometimes, but um, generally speaking, we should try to, to go as far as we can with the spiritual director that we've chosen. But if there's very clear signs that it's just not working out, then absolutely uh, it, it would just be a question of politely saying to the priest, I, I think it might be better if, if I choose another spiritual director um, if you don't mind. And given that, Father, in the SSPX, the priests are uh, transferred around, uh, like we talked about at the beginning. Uh, let's say that you're in a you're in a chapel, and let's say, Father, you and I have a have a relationship, and you're my spiritual director, and you're transferred halfway across the world to Australia, for instance. Is it advisable to stay on with, say, you and I on Skype or phone call or email or something, or is it better done in person? Well, I think um, obviously there's there's a bit of a lesser ability for a, a priest to direct a soul long distance because of the fact, well, one, for one thing, the, the soul is no, no longer able to go to confession to the priest. Okay. And also the, the, uh, the priest is, is no longer part of that parish, so it's not really his flock anymore. He's uh, priests are generally encouraged to sort of try to cut ties with the uh, the faithful that they were associated with, not in the sense that they're no longer their friends, but right. but in the sense that they're no longer doing the pastoral work that they were doing before. And generally speaking, um, spiritual authors, I, I think of this Father Guiche, who, who was actually teaching in uh, spirituality in Rome when, when Archbishop Lefeu was there. But he says, uh, you know, um, sort of spiritual direction by letter is is generally discouraged. It's, it's just letter does, uh, letters should not give enough information to to the priest he, he's not able to understand as well as he should all the the things that are that are going on uh, by correspondence by email or what have you um, now we have the technology we can we can use phone calls and and that's much better and and I think that's that makes it more feasible um, but but as I say generally speaking um, the, the the priest is supposed to move on to another apostolate and the soul should just try to find uh, another spiritual director from the priest in his parish. Very good. That's that's good advice, Father. Uh, yeah, I mean, how many times have, have you and I or, and everyone sent an email and the person writes back and says, are you upset with me? No, <laughs> not at all. And there's so much that's, that's, that's lost uh, in that. And so it makes sense yes. that it's it, for something so vital as someone's soul and, and growth in spirituality that it would be in person when at all possible. Yes, it's so true. Email is so impersonal. Um, yeah. It's it's painfully impersonal. So when it comes to the question of directing a soul towards towards heaven, yeah, and I, I would say just generally for all who are listening, 
sometimes they they expect the the priest um, to to know everything from an email. But um, it's important that we as priests we we gather sufficient information. Like I, when I'm gathering information, I. I I, I, I know when I don't have enough information, I say to myself, I, I've got to get, I've got to ask these other questions before really I can advise this soul properly. I don't want to sort of jump in and, and give advice without having all of that information. And so sometimes I will say, you know, do you have time for, for a phone call? Can we just, can we discuss this over the phone? Because email is, is so inadequate as a means of communication. Right. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this, this podcast, frankly, because so many people send in questions that it's it's not possible to sufficiently and, and properly answer them in, in written form. And and the inflection and the tone and the conversation makes things, you know, not perfect. It's not like we're sitting face to face, Father, but it's it's a lot better. It's a whole lot better, Andrew. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Father, and, and thank you for providing spiritual direction to the seminarians and in the past to faithful uh, we, we appreciate it so much, uh, the time that you give and, and, and the advice and the knowledge you pass along. Okay, Andrew, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate the podcast so that more people can hear the beauty and truth of traditional Catholicism. For more news, resources, and updates, you can visit the U.S. District website at sspx.org or the English news website of the Society at fsspx.news.